Hello and welcome back to Tea Crime. In today's episode, we will talk about April Millsap. April Millsap was a 14-year-old girl from Armada in Michigan, and Armada is a small town that is 35 miles away from Detroit. April was an only child and lived with her mother, Jennifer, and her stepdad, David. April was a pretty quiet girl. She was very shy and introverted, but she was also very caring and sweet with everyone she knew. April had many interests and hobbies like, for example, playing computer games. Her mother always said that if she was not out with her friends or with her boyfriend, she would be in her room playing games on her computer. She also played in the school band and she was very good at writing. In fact, she wrote short stories when she was younger. Her dream job was to become a vet and she was really into health and fitness. She adored her pets, in particular her dog Penny. They will do anything together. Penny was always by her side and they really enjoyed going on hikes together. So April was a very well behaved and good girl. She knew not to stay out too late or when it became dark and she was never out for too long. However, on July 24, 2013, April went out around 5.30 p.m. for a walk with her dog Penny, but when it started to get dark outside, April and Penny still were home. Her mother started to get worried, so she decided to text April to see where she was and when she was coming home. At first, her mother thought that April met someone she knew and started talking and lost track of time and that's why she wasn't home because this was very common living in a small town, you would definitely meet someone you know if you're going out. But as time passed, there was still no response from April so she instead tried calling her daughter on the phone but it just went straight to voicemail. She tried calling her a lot of times but each time it just kept going straight to voicemail. So at 9pm that night, her mother decided to call the police. They tried to get as much information as they could, like what she was wearing that day, what plans she had, what was usually the route that she took for her hikes. The police and the mother got in contact with April's boyfriend, Austin, who said he didn't hear from April for quite a long time, and the last time he heard from her was when she texted him saying, I think I almost got kidnapped. So now, the case that was once a missing person case got to a whole new level because now there's the possibility that a person has been abducted. Some officers stayed at home with their parents while others went back to the station to work on the case and as they were there, they received a call from a couple that was on a bike trail saying that they found a body. The man that made the call said that there was this dog along the trail that still had the leash on but no owner and it seemed that the dog was coming a little towards them and then going back, trying to lead them to the wooden area outside the trail. So the man followed the dog until they arrived at the place where the body was. The body that was found was April's body. She was laying in a ditch not far from the main trail but it was covered by trees and foliage so no one had seen her until her dog Penny led the scalpel to her body. The body was identified at the scene thanks to the description given by the mother of the clothes that she was wearing that day. April was found with her head covered in blood and being partially undressed. Her shorts and underwear had been pulled down to her ankles and her blouse was ripped open and pulled down to her waist, exposing all of her body. It was thought that the killer's intent was to sexually assault her but that something happened that stopped the killer as in the autopsy there wasn't any trace of sexual assault. There were not stab wounds or gunshots found on her body, however it seemed that she was beaten to death with footprints found on her neck suggesting that the killer stepped on her. It was found that the cause of death was blunt head trauma and asphyxia due to neck compression. Police tried to track down everyone that was on the biking trail the day of the murder, asking them if they saw something that could help them with the case. 
One person in particular said he saw something suspicious. He saw two older males jumping into a white van, but when the police tracked down those two males, it was found that there was nothing suspicious about them and they didn't have anything to do with the case. So the police came up with a theory of what they think happened that day. They think that April was walking on the trail with Penny when an older man approached her, tried to flirt with her, but that April just tried to walk away and after this interaction with this man, April texted her boyfriend saying that she almost got kidnapped. They think this man was very forward with his flirting and maybe he told her to come back to his place and that's why April sent a text to her boyfriend or maybe she just sensed that this man had bad intentions. So police believe that after she sent the text, she kept walking for a little while until this man approached her again, trying to seduce her but she rejected him once again and that's when he attacked her. They believe the attack happened between 6.30-6.45 as they knew exactly at what time she sent the text to her boyfriend. After getting in contact with her phone company, they were able to get the exact spot she was when she sent the text, so now police can get a little more specific when talking to potential witnesses. One man came forward with the most promising lead. He said he saw April and an older man with a blue and white motorbike. So now police started to look for people who owned white and blue motorbikes but nothing came up so they started to focus on other parts of the case. After a few weeks they found April's phone. The phone was found a mile away from the trail meaning the killer took the phone with them and left it somewhere else. When they turned the phone on, they found that April had a fitness tracker that was running at the time of the murder. This fitness tracker locks the exact route you're in, it locks your pace, the time, and even your heartbeat. So now police had the exact time frame and movements of April. Now police was able to see that right when she sent the text to her boyfriend, her pace got faster and she moved in the opposite direction, seeming as she was heading home and trying to get away from the man. But at some point, her route kind of stops as she wasn't going any further and for a few minutes her phone is moving around in the same exact spot. So this is when the struggle started. After the struggle, the phone tracks on movements again, but this time the pace is going 20 miles per hour, confirming that a person with a motorbike is involved. Police started asking everyone that lived in the village if they knew someone who had a blue and white motorbike and one person came forward saying that her neighbor owned a blue and white motorbike but she also hadn't seen it for a while. This neighbor used this motorbike to go everywhere but she hadn't seen the motorbike ever since around the time when the murder happened. Her neighbors were a father and a son both named James Van Callis, and with them lived the girlfriend of James Van Callis's Jr. and their son. The police ran a background check on the father and son and found out that they both had criminal records. While James Jr. record was war for general misconduct, James Sr. was a registered sex offender. The victims of James Sr. were all aged between 13 and 15 years old, so they were all around April's age and that's when police started to suspect James Sr. So police went straight to their home and searched the whole house and found a large amount of marijuana, so they arrested them on drug charges. Police used the drug as an excuse and didn't want to tell them that they were actually searching the house for some evidence for April's murder because they didn't want the father and son to hit some possible evidence if they knew that that was what they were looking for. So while they were in custody, both their prints were taken but none of them were found at the crime scene. Talking to the neighbors, it was found that the motorbike belonged to James Jr. and that none of the neighbors had seen that motorbike since the murder, so now the primary suspect is James Jr. In the house, the police found a helmet but didn't find any gear. 
So now police was convinced that James Jr. was the killer. He was the only person in the village that had a blue and white motorbike and all of a sudden after the murder happened that motorbike was gone and this seemed very suspicious to the police. They searched the whole house again looking for some particular evidence. The motorbike that was now gone and a particular type of shoe, the one that was used to stomp on April's neck. This type of shoe was the Nike's Air Jordans. Now, the police didn't find the shoes in the house, but they found a potential link to the shoes on James Jr. phone. There was a video that he took where he clearly shows that he's wearing Nike Jordans, meaning that he owned a pair of shoes at some point. They then decided to look through his computer history, finding that he researched a lot of things about young women, like how do I attract younger women or why does this younger woman want me? This just confirmed the police theory about someone wanting to pursue April. James Van Callis Jr. was charged with first-degree murder and assault with intent to rape. His defense team tried to argue that James was not the killer and that the police didn't find any physical evidence showing that James killed April, not even the fingerprints and DNA at the scene. A lot of people believed that James was wearing motorbike gear and that's why none of his fingerprints and DNA were found as his body was covered in gear. James's girlfriend was brought in as a witness by the prosecution, the people that were fighting against James. She told the court that the night of the murder, around 3 a.m., she saw James Jr. cleaning his shoes and helmet with hand sanitizer. She said that he left the house around 5 o'clock that day on his motorbike and then he came home around 9 p.m. She also said that everything was fine when he came home, but when she woke up again during the night, he was gone again, and when he came back home, that's when she found him cleaning his things with sanitizer. She also said that James told her he messed up and that he needed her to stand by him. She didn't really know what he meant until the police came to talk to James. She kept talking, saying that James had shown the police a different pair of shoes, not the shoes that he was wearing and cleaning that night. She said that the shoes he was wearing were a black and white pair of Air Jordans and they could see a picture of James wearing those shoes on his Facebook page. After the statement, the police went to search James's house one more time but still couldn't find the pair of Air Jordans. To determine if the shoes matched the crime scene, the police ordered the exact same pair to test it out and the shoes were a match. After his girlfriend's confession and all the witnesses' confessions that said they saw James walking angry behind April at the trail or that they saw him coming out of the woods alone, James Van Callis was found guilty of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. To this day, James Van Callis Jr. and his family believed that he's innocent and he was being framed. In the next episode of T-Crime, we will talk about the life of one of the most notorious British serial killers, John Straffen. So thank you for listening to this new episode of T-Crime and I will see you in the next episode.